Amen. Well, guys, would you grab a Bible and make your way to 1 John. On Sunday mornings, we're working verse by verse through 1 John and excited to be just continuing that this morning and wanting you to be there. So I hope you have a Bible, you're opening it up. If you don't, there are Bibles in front of you, in the chairs in front of you. You've got a page number on the screen so you can get there rapidly. You can open up an electronic device as well. One way or another, we want you to have the Word of God in front of you. That's true here, but also for you guys who are in our overflow, as well as those online, fully be with us. Grab a Bible. Uh, Be with us so that you're seeing and that it would be in the midst of this that God would be just communicating to you through His Word and in power. Uh, He would make that to happen, that He would open up His truth to us. So hoping you have a Bible open, and let's ask God to work in that. Would you join me right now? Let's go in prayer and ask that God would just meet us and show us the things that He has for us. Father, right now, we thank you that you are a very good God. We thank you that as we move into this space, that your word before us is incredibly powerful. Think about in Hebrews 4, you liken it to a sharp two-edged sword that is able to pierce into the depths of who we are, to shape us, to, to separate between thought and intent of the heart. God, I love that, and I love that that's the work that you do, not just changing us on the outside, but just transforming us on the inside. Thank you that your word is powerful in that regard. God, I believe that, and yet I'm asking for it right now. Penetrate our hearts. Penetrate our hearts in such a way with your word that we're being changed. Give us ears to hear so that this morning we both understand the passage that's in front of us. But in the midst of it, we hear exactly what you want to say to us individually out of it. God, you're the only one that can do that, but I ask you to. Give us ears to hear your spirit today. We ask for it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, 1 John chapter 2 is where we are. And in essence this morning, I want to tell you that God is going to speak to you and invite you to be prepared be prepared. Now, I don't even know what that does when I say that, when I, when I speak that, you know, some of you immediately go to kind of the Boy Scout model, but I want to just tell you, being prepared is more than that. It's more than what that looks like, and I even just want to ask you, what would that look like? What would it look like in your life to be prepared for what's in front of you, to be ready for what's going to be taking place? Now, just going to just pause there and say, I have a really weird dry sense of humor, so you're just going to have to just kind of own that. I hope it comes across every now and then. But I was thinking about what that looks like. Like, how do you picture prepared? And so I was trying to think of images or pictures that kind of do that. And so I was looking through the internet, and I thought, and I found this one that just gave me a chuckle. It may not do anything for anybody else, but kind of has that idea of being prepared for work tomorrow, like fully armed for anything that's going to come your way. And I just don't even know if that just kind of runs across you right now, but this morning, I want to arm you not for a workplace environment. I want to tell you that God wants to arm you for sin, to be prepared to face that in the coming week. And that's exactly what he's going to hold before you this morning. Well, before we go there, before we dive in here to chapter two, we need to pause because before we can even say what we need to say this morning, we need to talk quickly about what we talked about last week. If you were here last week, we covered one of the most well-known verses in the book of 1 John, what is sometimes called the the Christian's bar of soap, the place where in 1 John 1, 9, he tells us that we can find and enjoy the forgiveness that's available in Jesus. In fact, let's go back and read that. You got your Bibles open there, so just back up a few verses. We'll look there at verse 8. It says it to us this way. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so we think about what's being laid here before us, and one more time, he just tells us, if we believe the lie that we haven't sinned or we're not sinners right now, that that's not a part of who we are, it's a lie. It's a lie to yourself, it's a lie that ultimately casts, you know, just saying God that he's wrong, but it's untrue and not biblical. So we need to understand that he's inviting us to understand what the Bible tells us, is that we are sinners, 
sinners in need of a Savior, that that's who we are in this world, and it still affects us even as believers to this day. And so he tells us that that can't be true, but if on the other hand, if we confess that, if we agree with God, God, you're right, we're sinners. We, we, we recognize that's who we are. We recognize that, and we have sinned against you if we confess that to God. He says, here's what he does. He is faithful. I mean, he keeps the promises, and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is really, really good news. It's such good news that it's the kind of news that should be a daily part of our lives, of recognizing the need of this, the power of it in our lives. And if you have questions about that, you might want to go back and just reperuse the, the message from last week. If you missed it, it's online. Uh, we, you can get copies of it a number of different ways. But we just want to tell you it's worth understanding because that reality is incredibly powerful, how we find and enjoy the forgiveness that's available in Him. Now, before we leave that, I wanted just to say a couple other things, things that will be important as we move forward into what we're going to talk about this morning, but also answers a couple of questions that I got this week from people as they process through the message from last week. For starters, we need to understand that the forgiveness of sin does not erase the consequences of sin. Forgiveness of sin makes us right with God. The forgiveness that 1 John 1, 9 is telling us is that we can have forgiveness and that forgiveness will remove everything that separates us from God, which is incredibly powerful. But it doesn't erase the consequences of sin. I don't think that's hard to understand, but sometimes it just needs to be said. So let's just say you, you know, have a bad afternoon and you lose your temper and you hop in the car and you're driving too fast and you pull into the driveway too fast and you slam on the brakes and you go halfway into your garage door. Now, if that happened to you this week, I wasn't watching. So just, just making sure that, because that, I just, it just made this up, it's kind of deal. So, um, so, but if that happens to you and you realize what went wrong and you say, God, please forgive me, God, please wash away my sins. You will be forgiven. And, and, and the anger that sparked that whole thing is done, but the garage door is still broken. You know, it does, you're, that doesn't immediately erase consequences. And so understanding how that we then walk through that and then God works through that is good. But when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about being made right with God and, and that that is possible and fully possible always in our lives. So again, we need to see that. So forgiveness is being made right with God. Well, that raises up another question. So here's what you need to understand is the forgiveness that God is offering us is not about forgiving yourself. Now, I had a number of people talk to me about this, and I just found myself chewing on it for for the week. And so again, you're probably not the only one, but I just want you to think about it right now because we live in this generation that this has become a really popular way to kind of process that. So, you know, I had a few people just talk to me and say, well, you know, I know that God forgives me, but I'm just still working on forgiving myself. You know, just still trying to figure out how to do that. And I just want you to think this through with me for a moment. Forgiveness and what that likes, only Jesus can do that. Jesus is the only one that forgives sins, and he's the only one that can forgive sins. You can't. Like, you can't do this in your life. In fact, even trying to do that is something that the Bible never asked you to do it. So again, it's become a very American thing. It's become a very popular kind of concept in American culture. But hear me clearly, never, not even one time, does the Bible tell you that you need to forgive yourself as if somehow you could, as if somehow that's what you were aiming for, as if somehow forgiveness could be felt that way. It never does that. Instead, it offers us something different. When the Bible talks to you and I about how we face it, it doesn't tell us to forgive ourselves. He tells us that we need to be those who walk in a clean conscience, that what forgiveness does in us is brings us to this place where not that we feel forgiven or we forgive ourselves, but we can get to the place where we have a clean conscience. The idea there is that we recognize everything's taken care of. In fact, Paul would say, hey, I strive always to have a a good conscience before God and men. So it would have this idea that you would be able to say, okay, God, are you and I right? Have I confessed my sin? Have I done 1 John 1, 9? And if you have, you would say, I have a clean conscience. Like it's been forgiven. Jesus is taking care of it. Then you would say, is there anything that I need to do to anybody else? Is there somebody I need to apologize to? Is there something I need to kind of pursue reconciliation? It doesn't mean it always happens because some of that's going to be on other people's part. 
But you would be able to say, as much as it's upon me, I've done what I've need. There's not anything that I don't need to do. I've, I've asked for forgiveness or I've done that, and I can actually enjoy a clean conscience. And, and that's actually possible for you. In fact, I like the way it reads it. Some of you are reading in Hebrews with us, and in Hebrews 10, you're going to read uh, this week that he says, Let us draw near with a true heart, with a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He says, here's what you can embrace. Here's what you can, you can move into. Not a place of forgiving yourself, but a place of saying, I have a, uh, there's not any, uh, it's done. I, I, I've done what I needed to do. And, and that's a powerful reality that you can have. And I just want to give that to you because, again, we live in this weird space that sometimes we're trying to get something we can't get, and then we're wondering why it doesn't work. Like, I've asked for forgiveness. How come I don't feel forgiven? How come I can't get rid of it? As if somehow that's what the Bible was saying. It says God will forgive us. And if we believe Jesus, then he has, that he does that. And so I hold before you again this verse. 1 John 1, 9 is a verse that you should know. I mean, commit it to memory because it would be a daily help to you. But I'll tell you what, let's do it right now. I'm gonna lead you in prayer and I just wanna invite you to do it. That right now, I'm gonna invite you to just admit before God that you're a sinner. To say, God, I need your forgiveness right here and right now. And I'm gonna pray with you and I'm gonna tell you, if you'll join me in this, then right now, right now, we'll be forgiven. Right now. I mean, everything will be kind of washed away and, and, and he will do what he promised to do. He'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So will you join me? Let's do that right now. Father, right here we come. And I just want to admit to you, you're right. We're sinners. We, we, we have sinned against you. Lord, we, we think about even the struggle inside the life of a believer that we have a flesh that works against that, but it's still me. It's still my flesh. And, and Lord, I just want to confess that to you. I just want to come and say, Lord, we are sinners. We sinned against you. We have done wrong, and you are right in, in the way that you describe it. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. I'm asking right now that anything that is in between you and us right now, we own that it's us. It's not anybody else's fault. We're not blaming the world. We're not blaming anybody else. I'm just admitting I'm the problem, Lord, that it's me. Please forgive me. Please forgive us. Lord, you said you'd do that. You said if we would so confess our sins that you are faithful and that you are just, and you said that you would forgive us you would forgive our sins. God, I ask for that right now. You said that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Wow. Right now that, Lord, right now that. Bring us into this moment being fully clean before you. And I believe that you're offering us that now. Help us to walk in that and be in that space right here and right now. I ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, that's incredibly good news. So if you just did this with me, if you just said that, that that's me, <laughs> I'm admitting it too, God, then here's the reality. Jesus keeps his promise. Whether you feel it or not, whether you, you know, it, he, he does exactly what he said he would do. So right now you're in this moment where you're forgiven. It's clean. And, and that's an incredibly beautiful place. Now, see, I want you to make sure you're there with me because if we could see that, we would say, okay, this is an incredible space to live in. I mean, a place of, of being forgiven. But that's right where we want to go with this verse because now we leave this place where we're talking about, God, forgive me for what I am and what I've done, to how we face the rest of the day and how we face this week. So have that in your mind, and let's read what we're going to cover this morning. 1 John chapter 2, pick it up with me in verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the whole world. Wow. Yeah. He begins to tell you and I some absolutely amazing things, some things that's going to help us and how we move forward to this. But please pause and make sure that you join me in understanding how it began, because he began by setting the tone. Yeah, the very beginning words there, he says, my little children. 
Now, when you hear that, please understand, in the original language, there's no diminutive to this. There's no uh, speaking down to you. This is not one of those, like, insulting kind of things, like, you're just a child. Like, you just, it's not that way. It's not talking down. Instead, it's a very affectionate way of addressing. It's reminding us that we, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you're a child of God. That it'll say it in chapter 3, beloved, how incredible is the love of God that we get to be called his kids. I mean, we're family in Christ. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, this is who we are. And so he's speaking to us affectionately. And what's important about that is you hear that as the tone of voice in what's about to be said. Now, I like that. For me, it's really powerful when God goes out of his way and helps us understand the tone of voice, because if we're not careful, we would misread it, right? It's happened to you, right? Maybe you've done one of those things where you text somebody a message, and, and you're trying to tell them something, but they can't hear your tone of voice, and then they're so offended. Can't believe you said that to me. Can't believe you, and you're like, what did I say? They're like, dude, you didn't hear my tone of voice, I mean, I know, what, I mean, you, you got to hear it in the way I, I was trying to say it. If you could have only heard what I was saying, you never would have gone where you went because that's not my tone of voice. But the problem with texting or any of those things is communicating tone of voice can be very difficult. Well, same with the word of God. So every now and then God just says, hey, make sure you hear the tone of voice. Like I'm about to tell you something. And if you hear it as harsh or just, you know, found a theologically kind of, but if you don't hear it, hey, you're a child of God, and I'm speaking to you in the most tender and loving way I can, that would change the way you hear it. And so I just want to make sure you kind of just kind of caption it that way. It's like, okay, God, I want to hear it that way. Well, that's powerful, but one other little thing I want you to understand about this. So this is written to believers, and he's calling us little children, and what I need you to under, also to understand is what he's about to say is only written to, and only possible for Christians. That what he's about to tell us are realities that are true in Christ that are not true if you're not a follower of Jesus. Now, I don't say that to kind of thumb that in your face. And instead, I want to tell you, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, we want you to see what you don't have, but tell you you can have it. That right now, the point of this is that God is inviting people still to his family. He says, you know, you know, here's what Jesus is. Whoever believes in him becomes a child of God. And today that would be possible for you. Today that today, if you're not his, you could believe upon him and be saved. And this would be true for you. But it only works for believers. Now hold that because we'll need to come back to it. So the tone is, again, just this idea of, of writing to us. We're hearing that tone and we begin to hear what he says. He says there in verse 1, my little children... These things I write to you so that you may not sin. Very loving, very kind, but he's just telling us, hey, I'm writing this to you so that you could do this, so that you could not sin. Now, let's just walk around that for a moment. It's a pretty powerful way, but I think I ought to just begin by saying certainly we recognize that forgiveness embraces this aspect. I mean, if we're honestly asking for forgiveness... There's no way we would ask for forgiveness for sin that we're going to stay doing. Like, God, forgive me for what I'm going to keep doing right now. It wouldn't actually be forgiveness. It's not actually saying, God, this is a bad thing. I need your forgiveness. God would give it to us a bunch of times in his word where he'd say exactly that. For example, in Proverbs 28, it says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. It says, if you're going to cover your sins, you're going to pretend you're not a sinner, that's not going to go well for you. That's 1 John 8 and verse 10, where he says, if you say you don't have sin, you are lying. Like, that is not going to go well for you. You can't cover it. You have to admit it. You have to confess it. But to confess it also means that you're forsaking that. Now, again, I just say that because it needs to be said in one sense. But I think in some ways it's almost understood that if we're going to ask for forgiveness, we're asking for rescue from both our sin, what it was, and, and wanting to leave that. But here's where it becomes important for us to think through. Because he's telling us, hey, my beloved children, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. And here's what I need you to think through. Only Christians can hear that. Only Christians can do that. Now, maybe you already agree with that, but probably some of you don't. Because see, when I say, hey, I'm writing to you this so that you don't sin, for some of you, it could sound so generic, almost like, hope you have a great day. 
you know, hope things go well for you. Like, it's just some kind of like, well, yeah, don't, by the way, don't, just don't sin. I mean, just, I'm hoping you would not do that. But see, here's the problem. We're sinners. In fact, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we talked about this last week, but let me just highlight it again. You're a sinner by nature and by choice. You're a sinner by nature and by things that you do, so that when you sin, you don't become a sinner because you sin, you sin because you're a sinner. So that, here's the thing, your sin covers everything that you are, and outside of Jesus, you can never leave it. For somebody who doesn't know Jesus, the reality is, you could never not sin. Now, again, I know that somebody's going to push back on that. You're thinking, wait, wait a second, Jim. You're saying people can't do good things? I'm telling you that what Isaiah says, that all of our righteousness outside of Jesus is like filthy rags. So even somebody who is giving billions of dollars away in some benevolent foundation, that's still tainted by their sin. If you don't know Jesus, you could exchange a really horrendous sin for like a lesser sin. I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but it's like, well, yeah, you could stop being, say, you know, angry and abusive, and you could exchange it for being selfish and prideful, but you can't stop sinning. You have no capability of ever doing that. Now, again, I just want that to land across you for a moment because I need you to hear it because the reality is he's inviting us to something that only Christians can enjoy, that in Christ with Jesus, we can actually not sin. In Jesus, with Jesus, we can actually do this, that this place, I'm writing this to you as little children, as children of God, that you could actually do this. You could not sin. Think about it this way. We read this last week. There in Galatians, it describes the struggle that happens inside of us. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. says, here's what's happening inside the life of a Christian. There's this battle that's happening inside of you. This Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, this, you know, who are you going to be kind of deal that's happening in the midst of this. And it's a battle that's a real battle. But please track with me for a moment. You actually have the battle. You actually have the battle. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're the only one that has the Spirit of God inside of you. The world does not. All they have is the flesh. They, they can do different flesh. They can do flesh light. They can do flesh la- I mean, they just can't leave the flesh, but you can. That he's telling you that if you're a follower of Jesus, you could actually walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, you could overcome the flesh. You could not sin. You could not do things that you could never have done before, not by your strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you could now have this. Jesus would say it differently. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. Wow. I mean, it's just a pretty powerful reality, but again, I just want you to hear Jesus say, he says, you know what? You need me. And if you abide in me, you can actually do something good. You could actually have good fruit, but just FYI, on your own, never going to do it, never going to happen. You have no ability in your own strength to ever do anything genuinely eternal or good. Everything's tainted by your flesh, everything is there, but if you would hang with me, if you would hold fast to me, guess what? You could actually have it. You could actually not sin. You could actually do something that's eternally and genuinely could. Wow, that's incredibly good news, and that's what Jesus wants to speak to us. He's inviting us to that. In fact, he's telling us he'll help us. If you're reading in the book of Hebrews, some of you are reading with us in our daily Bible reading. You read just this week, a couple days ago. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Because of what he went through, he's saying, I I see what you're going through. I can help. I can help with that. I can help with your temptation. I can help with your struggle with sin. And he's letting us know that that could actually happen in our life. Now, again, I hope that makes sense because I'm just telling you, if you don't hear this, it's going to just sound so benign. Like, hey, by the way, don't sin. (laughs) By the way, just you shouldn't do it. And you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds nice. Instead of thinking, really? Like, wait, I could do that? I could not sin? 
Like, really? I mean, if I really understand what sin is, you mean really? I could have, it's this life-giving, like amazing, like hopeful thing in our lives, and that is something we're supposed to be pursuing, that we ought to be those who say, that's what I'd like. If that's possible, that I could walk in the Spirit and abide in Christ and not do that, then that would be like, my, I want to do that more. I want to do that more. It should be something that you believe. It should be something that you aim for, even daily. I think about it. It's kind of been an interesting season. The last, uh, this is like the third uh, week in a row that I found myself thinking about the Lord's Prayer. I don't always do this if you're new with this, or just I don't mean to kind of hash on the same thing over and over, but I've been reminding you for the last few weeks that Jesus gave us something that is an example prayer, a model prayer, that when the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, in this manner, therefore, pray. And he gave them this Lord's Prayer, and I have held out to you many, many times, and again, for the last few weeks specifically, that this is a great prayer for you to use as an example. Not praying it verbatim, not just word by word, but if you would allow the Lord's Prayer to govern you know, some of your prayer, it would guide you through every subject that you really need to pray through very consistently. I do this every day, so I'm not encouraging something that I wouldn't encourage you, uh, that I wouldn't you know, say you to do that I'm not doing. I just think it's really helpful. So you would, you know, begin, you know, our Father in heaven, and you talk about relationship for a while, and just talk about how God wants you to know him, and love him, and how that wants to work, and then you'd spend some time worshiping him, as hallowed be your name, and so every day you'd be processing through some of those things, but if you did that, well, then you would be coming in the Lord's Prayer to that place that every day you would do First John 1, 9, not always having to repeat that verse or any of those thoughts, but every day you would be coming and saying, God, forgive me my debts as we forgive our debtors. God, I need it. I need washing. I need washing. <laughs> I need your cleansing. I, I, I mean, I'm still struggling. I've got this flesh and the spirit, and I need that. And it could be, it should be a daily part of your life that you're recognizing the need for you to be clean and ought to be something that you do every day. So again, it's powerful. It's powerful that that would be a part of it. But if you can get there, then you've got to keep tracking because the very next thing he tells you to pray is that we'd come and we'd say, God, as I'm thinking about what this looks like, then I'm asking, would you, would you lead me away from temptation? You know, I just asked for forgiveness, but now I just switch to begin to move forward. And God, help me with what's in front of me. Help me with the temptation. Now, lots of stuff we could say in this, but very quickly, it's not accusing God of tempting us. In fact, James goes out of his way in the book of James to tell us God can't be tempted with evil, nor does he ever tempt anybody. It's not saying that God tempts us to sin. We're asking for God's help to lead us away from that. Like, God, help. Like, there's, if I don't have your help, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going I'm I'm to stumble. I'm going to do the wrong things. I'm going to say the wrong things. And God, I need to walk in the Spirit so that I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I need to abide in Christ so that I could actually do good. And, but I'm wanting to pray for that, that I would come and say, God, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be a part of that. That should be a part of your life consistently. Again, if you use the Lord's Prayer as an example, it would be something that you do every day, that there would be this joyful, almost this place of like, hey, that's possible. Like, I could actually do it. Like, maybe, I mean, if I walk in Jesus, I could actually not sin. I'm in. Like, let's do that. I want to do that, because that's exactly what I need help with, because without you, I can't do it. And I want it to be life-giving and hopeful to you right now. Now, that's helpful. Again, I, I, maybe you were already there, but I mean, we, we just covered some depth of recognizing what that looks like and, and, and where that goes. And all by itself, that would be a good process for us to think through. But now he gives us one more thing. That as we're thinking through this idea of moving forward and the forgiveness that we've just prayed for, he tells us this. Go back and read it with me. We'll start in verse 1 again for the context. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We'll stop there. See, he says, here's this amazing thing. I'm telling you, you don't have to sin. You could actually overcome it. But if anyone does, if anyone does sin, then I want to remind you that you have an advocate. I want to remind you that you have this amazing thing. Now, think this through with me for a moment. In one sense, there is a way that he states this that doesn't assume that you will, but ready if you do sin. It doesn't assume that you will. And again, as you walk your way around that, just think it through with me for a moment. With Jesus, it's actually possible. With Jesus, it is actually possible for you to not sin. 
to, to say, okay, I'm going to abide in Christ and I'm not going to do that. Hey, that's why it's an if you sin. At the same moment, it's not just an if, right? It's a when. I just want to make sure that you know you're not the only one. If Jesus doesn't come back really, really quickly, there's not anybody I'm looking at right now that you're doing, like, hey, I'm just never going to sin again. Thought that would be great. Just thought I'd just totally never do that. No, it's not an if. It really is a win because we do struggle. Now, that's in the context. That's what we've already been talking about. So he's already told us back in 1 John, he already told us back in 1 John 1, that if anybody says, I have no sin, or I'm not a sinner. He says, well, you're lying. <laughs> it's not really. That could never be a true statement. It, it would never be true of us. So it is actually a win. It just it doesn't have to be every situation because we can actually do good in that. And again, walking in Jesus. But it has become something that we need to understand. So take that with me for a moment and understand what he's saying. The key that you need to hear out of this is you should be ready for it. You should be ready if and when you sin. You should be ready for that. You should be ready when that happens for how you're going to respond to that. That he's inviting you and I again to this kind of place where we should be prepared for that. Where you should be ready for that to happen. What would that look like? See, again, you understand preparedness. Not everybody does it. I know that some of you are, are better people preparing than others, but probably all of us understand it, right? I know that there's some of you here like you take a trip in the car and you never do that without being prepared, right? I mean, you leave and it's like, we got a blanket in the car, we have waters. I mean, you just never know when you might break down out in the middle of nowhere and you know, might have some food, you know, we have some backups, you know. I mean, there's others of you, it's like, not me, man, I just hop in the car and I go. But, and, and then you end up out there with nothing. When there's other people, I already thought it through. I've already thought through what might happen and I'm ready for it. I'm ready should things go badly. I'm ready for what that would look like. That kind of preparedness is what he's inviting you and I to. That we would say, okay, I'm going to be ready if and when that happens. What I'm going to do if I blow it, if I sin, if I, if I walk in the flesh, how am I going to handle that moment? He says, if you do that, again there in verse 2, he says, if you, my little children, these things are right to you, so you may not sin. And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate with the Father. We have a helper that is Jesus. Now, before we dive into this, I just want to pause for a moment because I want to just say this very, very clearly, but very, very hopefully graciously, and I don't want to in any way rob you of anything that God has worked in this verse for you. Because see, here's the deal. I've heard this verse taught a lot of times in my history as, as a Christian, and many of you guys have as well. And sometimes this verse is portrayed as a courtroom scene, that, you know, we're the guilty ones, and we're on trial. Maybe even we see Satan as the prosecuting attorney, and Jesus is our defense attorney. He's our advocate, and, and he's going to be the one that rescues us. And I just want to say, hey, there's truth there, and good truth. And if God has met you in that truth in this verse, Please hear me. I am not trying to rob you of that. Hold on to it. Believe that, but then think it through with me for a moment. Because I don't believe this is a courtroom scene. I don't believe these verses are picturing a courtroom scene. I don't believe that's what he's saying. If he's not saying that, then what he says, well, part of our problem is the word advocate. Uh, we read advocate, and again, we might think of a, of a lawyer, of a, of a defense attorney, and, and what that looks like, but the word for advocate is the Greek word paraclete. Now, I don't always show you guys Greek words, and I'm not trying to make it complicated or make it like you couldn't get this. I mean, Greek is something that some of you guys could get these words on your own, uh, but it's enough just for somebody here, for some of you right now, to go, I know that word. I know that paraclete, parakaleo, that's used in the, in, in the Bible. I mean, I, I recognize that. It is this word that speaks of coming alongside, comforting. It's two Greek words, para, which is, you know, coming alongside, kaleo, to speak to, has this picture of one that would come alongside to help, uh, of coming alongside to speak into somebody's life. Now, this word is used throughout the New Testament in powerful ways. It's used of God. He defines his, his, his own self as that. He defines the Holy Spirit as, as one that's like this, and he tells us that we can walk in this. 
think this through with me. I could give you a whole ton of verses, but just a few to help. So in John 14, Jesus is explaining before he's going away, and he's telling the disciples, hey, you're going to be alone. And he says, but I'm going to pray to the Father, and he's going to give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, he mentions this over and over in John 14, 15, and 16 that he says, it's really, really good that I'm going away because I'm going to give you something. The Holy Spirit's going to come. But he gives them a title, which is a really fun title, which is helper, which is paraclete, which is he's going to come alongside you to help you. You're not going to be alone. I'm not going to leave you alone in the world. I'm not going to leave you alone in your struggles. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to be your help in the, in the life that you're facing. And it's an incredibly powerful reality. So think about that for a moment. So the Holy Spirit is this. He's, he's this helper, but God himself is as well. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, he says it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort by with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, this is really, really incredible. God says, this is who I am. I'm a God of all comfort. This is by nature what I am. And the word comfort is the same Greek word. It's paraclete. Paraclete. It says, I come alongside you. I don't leave you alone. I will be with you in everything you're going through. I will never abandon you. I will never, ever do that. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I would be one that would speak life into you. And he says, here's this great thing. This is who I am. And in everything you go through, I'll do that. But I want you to get it from me so you can give it to others. If you really understand what this is, not only would God comfort you, you would have something to give other people with the same comfort. You would be able to say, hey, I want, I want you to, I want to come alongside you and I want to speak life into you and I want to speak encouragement into you. It's a pretty powerful reality, I take it. And I just want to tell you, it's a good thing that he's doing. But it's the same Greek word. So in 1 John, uh, the New King James, some of the translations translated again, advocate, not a bad way to translate it. It's still kind of true in it, but you would need to see it everywhere. So we could change it and put that same word here. It would have the same meaning. It just sometimes comes across differently. So we would say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all advocacy, who advocates for us in all of our tribulation that we might, that you might be able to advocate for us who are in any trouble with the advocacy which we are, you get it, right? I mean, there is this place where if you could see it, it's this thing, it's like, okay, that's, that's not a defense attorney. This, this is not a legal situation. This is help. This is, just, this is da- just constant in your space, in your place, help that God is offering for us. This is an amazing thing, and I want to hold before you that that's what we have. In fact, go back and see it one more time. It says, here's what you have. There in the the middle of verse 1, it just tells us, says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, an advocate with the Father. Again, because some people see this as a courtroom scene. They picture God the Father like the just judge, and, you know, Jesus is going to, you know, rescue us from his wrath, and there is truth in that but not here. We're children of God. That's not the relationship we have with God. We have an advocate with God. We have one that will help us, that God himself, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, that that he is representing the heart of God. He's longing to help us in our relationship with God. It's not this adversarial place. It's a place that instead of it being a courtroom scene, it's, it's right where you're struggling because we're talking about the future. It might be this afternoon. It might be tomorrow. And he says, if you get there and you sin, there's someone who will help you. Right there, right then. We're not just talking theologically. We're not just talking right in that space. You have a helper. You have a helper. In fact, he defines it a little bit more. As he says, this helper is who? It tells us again at the end of verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the righteous. He's the one that humbled himself, became a man, lived a perfect life, never sinned, understands what we're going through, but does so perfectly. And, verse 2, he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the whole world. So this one who is this help, he's just, he's perfect, and he's our propitiation. Really, really cool word, not one that we use every day, right? I mean, I don't think anybody's like, oh, I use it all the time. You know, it's just like, hey, having a good propitiation day. You have, me too, yeah. 
Be propitiated. I mean, we just don't use it. It's just not a common term. What does it mean? Well, it has the idea of a sacrifice for or a full payment of or fully dealing with something. So we definitely would see that this is what Jesus did for us. But if you were to take this word and look for it, like in Greek literature, you would find it in the kind of things where people would, you know, be trying to satisfy, you know, the thunder god or whatever and make some sacrifice that would bring in good weather or good crops or kind of things like, hey, if we do this, we might, you know, fix the problem so that, you know, that we'll get treated well kind of deal. It has this idea of fully dealing with anything that would be in our way, which is exactly what Jesus did, which is exactly our context. Go back, chapter 1, notice it there in verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the propitiation. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's what it is. That's why 1.9 can say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That what he's telling us when we think about this idea of propitiation and Jesus being the just one is everything we just talked about. So when you sin, if you sin, he's the one that will take care of that. He's, his blood is the cost of that. His blood will already fix that. And he's inviting you and I to see that. He's inviting us to understand what that is. In fact, as he's inviting us to see that, he tells us, hey, this blood, this propitiation, it is actually sufficient for the whole world. Again, just notice the way he says it. He says, you know, not only for ours only at the end of verse 2, but also for the whole world. Now, this is a huge thought, bigger than we can even get close to this morning, but let's try to say it clearly. The propitiation of Jesus, or maybe we just say it differently, the blood of Jesus that can wash away our sin, it is sufficient to deal with all the sin in all the world. But it is effective, or it is efficient only for those who believe in Jesus. That the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to save, to, to wash away every sin worldwide, but it's effective only for those who believe. Now, there's a lot of really just deep theological thought there. And I know that for some of you, your brain is going there like, wow, this is, and, and there's a lot of wrestling. And again, not everybody goes here. So if you don't go here, just like tune out for a moment. I'm just talking to those that go here. Hey, you know what? There's a lot of things that we could think through in this, but there's a few simple thoughts that I want to tell you. There's a danger over what Paul would tell us in Timothy, arguing about words to no prophets of your hearers. Can I say it to you in the most simple way? Only those who believe in Jesus are going to get saved. That's clear. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And sometimes people try to, you know, you know, does the blood of Christ cover, you know, unbeliever? Could it not cover? There's no way that this saves everybody. Only those who believe in Jesus who get saved. And so your understanding isn't going to change anything. And it's kind of a funny thing that there are a lot of times theological arguments can kind of come around things. And I find it's like, what difference does it make? I mean, like, not, not one other person is saved and was going to get saved any other way you thought this. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a loss of, of, of actually getting anything good out of that that could go down that road. And again, not everybody's there, but I just wanted to speak that as carefully as I can. But let's come back to it. If you tuned out, tune back in now. So the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to cover all the sins of all the world of all time. It's only effective for those who believe. Why do you need to believe that? Why say that here? Why tell you that if you struggle with sin, if you fall tomorrow or this afternoon or at lunchtime, because some of you aren't even going to make it to lunch, when you sin, Jesus' blood is enough to cover the whole sin. Why do you need to know that? Because you just need to feel how big this is. You need to feel how powerful, how full, how comprehensive, how that there's just nothing too much for it. Because see, here's how some of it works. Sometimes we just don't believe it and we begin to feel like, um, you know, like the blood of Jesus Christ is like kind of lost in the supply chain kind of thing. They were like, I don't know, maybe it's not, we're going to run out. You know, like if I ask too many times, what if it kind of like, oh, Jim, you tapped me out yesterday. Like you, you, you have used up, you know, the blood of Christ. And so if I sin tomorrow, it might run out. Like I'm, and he's saying, no, it won't. No, it won't. Jesus, his blood is enough for all the sin in all the world for all time. And if it's enough for the whole world, it is enough for you. It is enough for you. You will never out, 
you know, sin, the, 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 the grace and the power and the blood of Jesus. And, and to believe that invites us into a place of, of just, just wanting to seek that, of, of wanting to know that, of wanting to walk in that. I think about it in Hebrews, if you guys are reading with us, you read yesterday this in Hebrews 4, so seeing then that we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold to our confession. I mean, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again and he's in God's presence, you should really believe that. You should, like, you should believe what you say you believe. Hold fast to the confidence in the Savior we say we believe in because we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He's the righteous one. That's what First John said, right? If you sin tomorrow, we have a propitiation. We have an advocate. He's the righteous one. He's the one that understands you. He was human. He just never sinned. He never sinned. But not only does that give him understanding, it gives him the ability to deal with your sin. And if you believe that, then the next verse says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's like, if you believe this, run into God's presence. Run. I mean, don't, 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 don't stop. Don't slow down. Go boldly in there and say, God, I need your mercy. I need your grace because it's enough for me. And I believe that, and I believe in who you are, and I believe in what you do, and I believe that you could help me. And he's saying, if you believe that, that's what he's telling us that we get to do. That's what he's giving us here. That he's telling us, if we get there, if we sin, we have this propitiation. We have this one who could rescue us. We have this one that would do that in our lives. So let's say it differently. Because I'm using the idea of be prepared, right, this morning. You need to be prepared to cry out for Jesus. Yeah. What he's telling us is that if we sin, he'll be that one who would advocate for us. He'd be that one that would help us, and you should be ready for that. You should be ready if, when you sin, to grab hold of the blood of Jesus Christ as quickly and as fast as you possibly can. You should be ready to face the sin that will come your way in the future in the way that Jesus has you to do so. Now, let's pause there because this is such an incredible truth, but it's a hard one. It's a hard one for a number of reasons, and sometimes people find themselves scared of it, really scared of Like, if I believed that, wouldn't that go badly? I mean, if we believe that Jesus is enough and, and for even my future sin, wouldn't that encourage me to sin? It is honestly a fear that some have. That, you know, that in one sense, almost hearing what I'm saying, it's like, I'm not really going to listen because I don't think that's going to go well for me. Like, that would sound like, well, you know, so I could just keep sinning, you know? I mean, if Jesus is enough for my sin, then wouldn't that encourage sin? And I want to say it carefully, and I want to say it just graciously, no way. It would never do that. In fact, Paul talks about this in far greater ways, far more depth in Romans 6. I'll just give you a couple verses there. In Romans 6 verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, if we believe the grace of God that's in Jesus, that Jesus is enough, that if you believe him, you could be forgiven, should we just keep sinning to kind of show how great God's grace is? Should we just sin more so that kind of just magnifies the grace of God? Sometimes people say things like that. It's almost always false teachers and teaching that comes out of it, but it moves Christians to feel like, oh, what if that's, what, is that what we're saying? Like somehow that I could just really, if I believe the grace of God, what if it encourages my sin? And, and, and Paul just says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And he says, certainly not. In fact, th those two words are the strongest negative statement that can be stated in the Greek language. There's not a harsher, more like, no way, like never. It could, that, that thought, it cannot get there because you need to understand that in Christ we're made new. And there's this radical transformation. We died, it's no longer who we are. Let's go back to the verse we, we talked about. So here's how we have this verse in Galatians. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Here's the battle. You are facing a battle between your flesh and the Spirit inside you. So if you believe in the grace of God, when you struggle with your flesh, if you embrace 
the forgiveness in Christ, it's never going to encourage your flesh, ever. Not in Christ. It, it only free you from it. It washes you away from it because you're now stepping towards the Spirit of God, which is only going to grow you stronger. I mean, the, the, the lie would be like, well, what if that strengthens my flesh? It could never strengthen your flesh. It could never do that if you honestly are stepping into the forgiveness in Christ. It will always do battle against that. It will always press it away because you're recognizing, God, I, I, this flesh is like, let's get away with it. Let's, like, let's wash that away. And it will always do good in Christ in our lives when we honestly get there. There's no sense that if you really believe this, that it will encourage you to sin. Let's say it differently. Believing this, if you believe what I'm trying to tell you this morning, it rescues us from staying in the pit of sin, from staying there too long. It rescues us from the self-punishing lie that keeps us from returning to God quickly. Now, I know, you guys, you guys are second service, so this is really for, like, first service and people online. See, you guys laugh. The first service didn't laugh at all. So, I mean, you guys get, you guys get my weird sense of humor just a little bit more. So, um, anyway, here's the deal. I know here's how some of you work. You sin, and you blow it, and you have this weird process, and it goes something like this. You're so disappointed. You blow it, and you're so disappointed in yourself. You almost think God's disappointed with you as well, and so you go through this process of disappointment, of uh, of feeling, you know, unworthy, and, and and you put yourself through this place where it's like, man, I can't even pry. I shouldn't go to church. I, I, I should just like stay out here because I don't deserve this. And it lasts, sometimes it lasts minutes. Sometimes it lasts hours. Sometimes days. Sometimes weeks where you are so disappointed and you're so, and you feel like that's how this whole thing works. But I'm just telling you, that's the wrong way to deal with this. That's the wrong way to deal with this because here's the reality. When Jesus died for your sins, he died for your sins, past, present, future, that your sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross. Doesn't just mean your past, it means your future. Come at it a different direction. So part of our problem with sin is disappointment is possible. It really is, because sometimes we, we expect better of ourselves. Sometimes we even make God promise, God, I'm never going to do that again. God, I'm going to be a better, and then we disappoint ourselves. And it's like, I didn't think I would, oh, I'm so disappointed. And we have this propensity to feel that way, and then we roll that disappointment on God. But if I can say it as carefully as I can, you could never disappoint God. You can never disappoint Him. Oh, you can grieve Him. Our sin grieves Him. But disappointment means you expected something that doesn't happen. That's the very idea of disappointment. Like you think something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen so you're disappointed. But can I tell you something about God? He already knows you, like you. He knows everything about you. He knows your past, he knows your present, and he knows your future. You will never do anything where God will go, oh, I had no idea you would, I can't believe I chose you. I'm taking you back to the lost and found. I mean, I don't I mean, if I had known that you would have been that, I mean, I thought I got a better deal than that. I mean, it's never going to happen. He is never, he's, he's like, I already knew. I knew what I got when I got you. In fact, Jesus would do this with Peter, right? And Peter's there and he's telling all the disciples they're going to struggle. And, he's like, and Peter's like, no, not me. He's like, Peter, you are. You're going to blow it. I already see it. But I just want you to know I'm praying for you already. I'm already praying for that moment when you fail so you could get back up. And that's true for you as well. So here's the deal. You'll never disappoint him. Like he already said, I died for that sin already. I, I already saw it and I already paid for it. All right, my, my blood that Jesus spilled will cover that. And see, here's the deal. If you believe that, then this space of self-recrimination, this space that you put yourself through this place of, like, I don't deserve it. You kind of do the prodigal son thing, right? You know, if you guys know the story of the prodigal son, it's like, you go, I'm going to come back to the father. And I'm going to say, Father, you know, I just make me like a low servant. And now I'm just going to, you know, I don't deserve to be in your presence. And he's like, and the father just runs to him and embraces him. To come to the place of believing, it's like, I know what my father will do. So what it does in my life, if I really believe this, if I really get it, then I'm going to be prepared for it. And here's the deal. I will return to God as quickly as I possibly can. 
It might be said this way, that a Christian who really begins to get this gets really good at repenting quickly. Gets really good about getting up from when they fall. It, it, it's, it's as if they're ready for it. I mean, you know, kind of that whole idea of being prepared, you know, the kind of, you know, like, you know, if you have kind of the blanket in your car, you're ready if the car breaks down. It's like, when I sin, I already know what to do. I, I was ready for it. I, I knew that might happen, and I know what I'm going to do when it happens. When I fall, I'm going to ask Jesus for help. I'm going to reach out to my advocate. I'm going to reach out to the one who would comfort me and his blood would wash away my sin. I'm going to get there as quick as I can. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm not going to waste, I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to do what Hebrews, I'm going to go boldly before the throne and say, God, help me. I need mercy and grace to, to I, I, again, I mean, but that's what I get. I mean, that's the powerful blood of Jesus that would rescue me and he's telling me that's what he has. He's inviting us to that and I'm telling you, that should be the way that you're looking at the future. We're not talking about sin that you've committed yet. We're not talking about, something, we, that's, that was 1 John 1, 9. We're talking about sin that you will commit. You should be ready for it. I found myself thinking about that, thinking of this one of those quotes from Benjamin Franklin that said, you know, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. And if you're not ready for what you're going to do when you're sin, you'll stay there too long. It'll, it'll keep you longer than you need to stay there. It, you'll, you'll stay in this process Instead of being like, I know exactly what I'm doing when I get there. I'm going to turn to Jesus as quick as I can and get back out of that as quick as I can. I'm going to turn to that really fast. In fact, I like it. In the book of Micah, there's this boast that is spoken to the enemy, but it's almost as if it's speaking to Satan, our adversary. And he says, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light for me. This is amazing. He says, don't get excited. Don't get excited when I fall. My enemy, the one who rejoices in my falling, who is the master of condemnation, I might fall, but I'll get back up because God's my light. Now he goes on in the next verse and says, and God might discipline me. I mean, the consequences of my sin might have consequences and God might have to shape me and mold me. I get all of that, but here's what I know. I won't stay there. I'm gonna get back up because I have Jesus and, and he's my light. And he's the one that is that. Would it be amazing if you had this boldness? If you could look and say, you know what? I'm looking at this week. Don't get too excited, Satan, because if I fall down, I'm getting back up. I'm not going to stay there. I have an advocate. I have someone who will help me. It's not just like a courtroom. He'll help me right where I am, and he'll get me back up. His blood would pay the price for all my sin. I'm not going to waste any more time in that than I need to because I'm ready to face that. That would change some things, guys. That would change how you're doing things. And again, I know that for some of you, you're like, I get it, Jim, this is how I do it. But I just know that for many of us, that's not what we do. We look at what he's telling us right here in this very loving way and saying, I don't want you to sin. And we could maybe get that, but then we think about sin and we spend all this weird time as if somehow God was shocked or surprised and we stay there and it's like, he already covered that too. Why would you let it hold you longer than it needs to? He's inviting you to have this place where you could be today in 1 John 1, 9, where you could say, okay, I'm, I'm forgiven. He's washed me. I'm clean. And I'm ready if it happens again. I am, I, I, I am ready for it because of what I believe. I believe in the blood of Jesus. I believe in the blood of Jesus that cleanses sin. And I'm going to grab that. I believe in the power of that. I believe in the power of the good news of the gospel that is my rescue. And that's powerful, guys. That's powerful. So let me give it to you one more way, and then we'll close. So I was thinking about all of this and thinking, you know, what a powerful picture, what a, a wonderful reality, but sometimes seeing it in a different way might help, and I found myself thinking of Jesus, and so we have this incredible story. You guys might know it there in Matthew 14. It says, you know, now the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So amazing story, right? There the disciples are out in this boat on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus goes walking to them on the water, and I know that you guys get this, but that's amazing. Nobody can walk on the water. Jesus is walking on the water. This is, this is miraculous. But what if it's also a picture? You know, what if the water is this picture as it often is in the, in, in, in the scriptures of the world and, and the struggles in the world? And there's this picture that Jesus is, he can walk and not sin. He can live above it. What if there's a picture there? If it's, if it's not firmly there, I'm just holding it to you as a picture that he's the one that can do that. Well, you know the whole scene that goes on and Peter, he's there and he answered and said to Jesus, Lord, <laughs> if that's really you, Command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. 
Come, come, come walk out here. And Peter does. Peter had, when he come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now pause right there, because here's the danger. I know that many of you guys are good Bible students, so you already know the rest of the story. You know that this isn't going to last long, that Peter's going to sink, and he is going to sink. But before you go there, catch with me. He walked on the water. He walked on the water. He did the impossible. He did what nobody else could do. He walked on the water. Hey, Christian, my children, you could not sin. You could do it. Now, here's the deal. I mean, that's an amazing thing. You can't do this on your own. If you want to go give it a try, go out to the bottomless lakes today. I don't care how many times you try. I'm going to work really hard to walk on the water. If I do it really slow, okay, that didn't work. I'm going to do it really fast. That's not going to, I mean, I don't care how many times you try. You'll never walk on the water in your strength. But abide in Jesus, walk in the Spirit, you can walk on the water. You can do the impossible. You can live above just the, the, the junk in this world. It's a beautiful picture, and it's an amazing picture. Our problem is staying on top of the water. Our problem is there, and that's exactly what happens to Peter. It says, you know, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and he begins to seek, and he cries out, saying, Lord, save me. I mean, he begins to go down, and immediately he cries out for the advocacy of Jesus. Jesus, would you help me? Help. Help me now. I cried right here and right now, and here's what I want you to see. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Now, Jesus will teach him from this. He'll do what he does even when we sin. He instructs and corrects and grows us, but I'll leave that for another space. I just want you to see it right here immediately Jesus would respond. And I want to tell you that's what he would do for you. If you try to live with Jesus this week and say, God, I'd like to walk on the water. I'd like to not sin. That'd be amazing. But if I start to go down, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cry out as quick as I can. And he'll grab me. See, some of you, that's not what you do. You're like, no, I'm going to wait till I go down the third time. You know, I'm, you know, I've got to suffer a little bit because, you know, I deserve it. Like, I just got to gurgle and blah, 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 you know, and stay as long until I'm almost blue in the face. And then I'm going to say, Jesus, help me. Wasted time. Pointless time. As soon as you begin to sink, cry out. Be quick about grabbing hold of the mercy and grace that's in Jesus and get back up. Be fast to get out. That's what he's telling you. Be ready for it. Be ready if you fall because the blood of Christ is enough for what you're going to face. And if you believe it, it will help you cry out more quickly than you do. Wow. What a great way. That would be a great way to live. And certainly it's what he's speaking to us in a very loving and tender way. And I hope you have heard it. Let's close there. You can close your Bibles, notebooks, and hopefully God will just meet us in that. And so we want to take a moment just to pray. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. I do want to just say this. Sadly, this is not yours. You can't walk on the water, and he's not your advocate. He's not your help. The only way to have this is to have Jesus. And if you're outside of a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to it. We invite you to become a child of God. We invite you to believe upon Jesus and be saved. And we'd love to be a part of that. If that's where you are, let us talk to you more about it. But now again, I just speak to you who are children of God very lovingly, very tenderly. Here, Jesus, just God telling you, I'd like to help you. Let's just, let's, let's not sin. And if you do, let him help you. I don't know where that's met you this morning. I don't know what it's doing in your life right now, but I just want to give you a quiet moment. Wherever that has met you, would you pause and just ask that, that he would just work that into your soul, what he has for you. I'm going to do the same thing. So we're just going to take a quiet moment, each one of us just praying and then we'll close together in worship in just a moment.
Jesus, what an amazing God. What an amazing Savior you are. Better than we've ever been able to comprehend. But help us to comprehend it more. Thank you for the blood that you spilled on our behalf. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the power of the gospel that can rescue us from sin so that we could be forgiven. That you would forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, thank you. Thank you that that's what you do. Thank you that that's what you can do and how desperately we need that. But thank you that you're enough both for our past, but also our future. That your blood paid the price for all our sin. Help us to believe that. To believe it in such a way that we are quick to cry out to you for rescue. That you, by your nature, would be our helper. You would be our advocate. You would be our rescue. You would be the one who would propitiate, would wash away and cleanse us of all of our sin. How quickly we need to turn to that. Would you make us grow? Help us to grow. What does we face this week if you give it to us? May it be that you'd help us to walk on the water. You'd help us not to sin. Lord, help us to walk through some situations and just do so well. I recognize the only way that's going to happen is if you help us. If we walk in the Spirit, if we abide in you. But when we don't, when we sink, may we be those who quickly cry out for your help. And may you do what you do, and immediately you would grab us. I ask for that now for me and for all of us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May you know that God is more. May he work it in you and all that he has. May it transform the way that you live your life and prepare you for even the day in front of you. Well, if you have questions on that, you need someone to pray with you, we're here. We'd love to pray with you, but now let's worship. So why don't you stand? We're going to close in a final worship song, just making God our focus. And I just want to invite you to that. And in that, I just want to bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.